Hello and welcome to the Culture File Debate with me, Luke Clancy, sitting in or maybe on the cloud with some guests who specialise in thinking and making with bodies in space. We will dance again was a phrase that emerged at the heart of the pandemic as a slogan or perhaps even an incantation of resilience of the possibility of regaining portions of our collective humanity that had been suddenly snatched away. The words appeared on billboards and merch on Insta feeds everywhere. Sure, it was mostly promising that nightclubs would open again, but the words had power because we felt instinctively that dance meant something more. We weren't just or even mainly thinking about steps and wiggles, although they're good too. We were thinking, dreaming even, of all the luminous, expansive possibilities of people being together. This edition of the Culture File Weekly, we're going to talk about what dance means in this moment, about what its physical intelligence offers in understanding cities or politics or relationships, in understanding what our world could become. Helping us with this conversation are Michael Kleen, Professor of the Praxis of Dance at Duke University, whose socially engaged work is often referred to as social choreography and works by bringing dancers and non-dancers together in events that sometimes comprise only a short set of rules. Hello, Michael. Hello. And next is Dana Kasperson, who is a performing artist who turned to conflict studies, using dance and what she calls physical thinking as an inspiration for social action. Hello, Dana. Hello, pleasure to be here. Hello, Bernadette Divoli. Bernadette is a dance artist based in the west of Ireland, and her practice has swept up city planners and isolated elders in a choreography that has its roots in the Buddhist-inspired dance department at Naropa University. Come in the west of Ireland. Hello, Bernie. Hi. Hello, Luke. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I quite often ask people when we get onto one of these group chats about the space that they're in right now. And uh, I feel like with you all being dance practitioners, it would be a very good time to ask you about how you're experiencing the space that I'm not sharing with you, because we're only sharing the sound, the space that you're in right now. Dana, how are you feeling the space around you right now? Hmm. I'm in a new space because the internet on my mountain collapsed this morning. So I'm in a space surrounded by people and I'm noticing how the intelligence of the people who collected and um, organized this space has really changed the town where these people live and enabled a new kind of connection. Michael, where are you? I'm in my teenage daughter's bedroom, uh, trying to kind of avoid any noise and encroachment of my kids or the dog. Uh, and yeah, it just makes me realize how much less control we have as an individual in this situation and also forefronts the kind of parenting role or any kind of opinions and movement, I guess, mm -hmm. <laughs> that base reality. Bernadette, where are you? I'm in Galway City and I'm looking out... Um, at trees and it's raining. So I'm in an old part of the city called Palmyra Avenue down the West End, or back west, actually, as we call it locally. I think one of the things that uh, we've kind of come to realise with more working at home and teleconferencing of one sort or another is how much our space is defined by the sound of it. I mean, Michael, Michael you allude to it there. 
I'm wondering about the changes in choreographic practice that this sort of increased sense of of the space created by the sounds we make. You know, your space is being defined by what you sound like and you're, you know, you're trying to not have the spaces of the people you live with come into our space. And so you're controlling space in sound. Oh, oh absolutely. I think uh, choreographically as a choreographer, it's almost impossible to know how this experience will really translate i think we're still in the experiential side or in the digesting side and any kind of a attempt to to have a preemptive strike at it i think is a it's difficult like there is this a uh, comedian in austria who said oh he's really afraid of all the covid art that's coming out <laughs> you know like dealing with his uh uh, emotions and the trauma, these mini traumas and, and the big traumas that have come out of this pandemic uh, and, and will rework it over and over. So, But there, it, it obviously is doing something and it's doing something to our relations and it, it also shows what is possible. So how adaptive we are as humans and as a society, how, how much we can stretch and adjust and that nobody really has to fly that much. Like these base realities that we just thought are are really necessary, that they are really turned out to be false necessities and that we don't have to do that stuff. Uh, And that's that's huge power in that, I think. Dana, have have you been feeling choreography as a practice has given you particular ways to think about uh, the period we've just experienced? Maybe some people are still experiencing. Hmm. I've actually ended up working a lot online and thinking a lot with people about physical, how we organize ideas physically. Um, And at first I wasn't going to do any of it because I thought it (laughs) wouldn't work, but I've found that in a certain way, um, the body's capacity to take uh, abstract ideas and concepts and to give them form and make them more available to the conscious mind functions really clearly over the internet partly because you can more easily engage people's sense of imagining and seeing differently than if they're right in the same space. They, they're accustomed to seeing stories and things through the screen, I guess. So then they, it seems like they're able to take things on more quickly with their bodies or to recognize that their bodies have already taken things on. So I've, I've actually had a really interesting time during this period. You could think that because, you know, look at us all now, we're just looking at the head. So you would think that most of the expressive potential of dance was lost to us. But that, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. You don't, you're not feeling that, Dana. Bernadette, what about you? Um, I think for me, voice became really important because uh, movement and voice are very central to my own practice. But intimacy is a large part of the way I practice and the voice, connection through the voice, as opposed to the initially the coldness of Zoom felt really important. So that's really something very new that's really staying with me. My hearing has improved immensely. I'm tuning into sounds I never heard before. I'm finding a sanctuary in silence for dance over the context of using the phone uh, in old way from the last century. And because I was doing a dance artist residency with Galway City and I was thinking, how am I going to dance with people? And I was like, OK, it's got to be the phone. In a way, the work you've been doing kind of contradicts the, the that slogan we had at the beginning, we will dance again and we shall dance again, because for you, there wasn't necessarily a rupture. 
there was a change. I have to say now I miss physical contact <laughs> with other dancers and shared space and just being able to sense the breathability of bodies and the influence of that. But I really needed to rely on sound to find that intimacy. And that was very exciting to me. It brought back dancing on the radio, you know, where people would have danced in their kitchens for many years. Dana, um, Bernadette there talks about change and, you know, rather than a rupture in dance, a change in dance. And I think managing change is one of the potentials that you sort of see in dance work in general. Yeah, absolutely. I've been thinking a lot over this past year about how the work of dance thinkers is to recognize what's already taking place. So the body is this place that both receives and offers all the time, even when we're not conscious of it. And in a lot of the work I do, I'm also working kind of at the intersection of dance thinking and, and conflict engagement. And so in conflicts, the same thing. We're already making decisions in all of these categories that are action categories. And the decisions we're making consciously or unconsciously are shaping the environments and shaping our, our interactions. And so I see the practice of physical thinking is completely connected for me to the practice of conflict thinking. What are we building through how we think and how we shape our environments through how we act? So I see change as not a process of taking what is and throwing it out, but noticing what is and what else it can become. And for you, that's very rooted in the body and in movement. Yeah, it's rooted in what dancers do, which, which is notice the decisions that are being made with the materials that are present. And so action and motion and the body are always part of that for me. Yeah. Michael, um, the title of your work, Parliament, I suppose it suggests very directly that dance might have a place in the political process as a kind of distributed physical intelligence. Maybe you'd tell us a little bit about that piece. And, and also, do you feel differently about that piece in a post-pandemic world? Uh, yes, and I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> yes and no. I, I, I had a whole series of parliaments planned before the pandemic hit, of course, and parliaments are these kind of larger scale engagements of citizens, are called, loosely called anybody who turns up. And there's a very simple set of really observing oneself, observing the other, no devices, nothing to do, six hours, uh, and then spending this time, which is primary hell, initially, you know, the other, but then negotiating through the body kind of a mammalian existence with each other. And it's very beautiful. And it's, of course, political. I mean, dance is always, in my in my view, it's always political. There is no non-political uh, being, you know, there is no neutral on a moving train, uh, as a famous quote. But also there is, in choreography, it's always a kind of enactment or rehearsal of a utopian impulse. But we also learn it to be like that, whether we move in time together in more traditional forms, or if we uh, learn how to all move in their own ways together and respect that and, and negotiate that that respect for each other's reality. So it's always political. And it's the magma, the social magma, where ethics and politics form. Why do you find that more in dance than, say, in what you know people would categorize as theatre? Personally, I would sort of re refer to Badieu, this uh, French philosopher, who kind of says theater happens after the event. Like it's almost it's it's language. It's it's built upon a certain kind of logic, upon a certain kind of knowledge that is already established. Whereas dance is is working beneath that. Like 
it's it's in the epistemological level in in the way of how we hear and how we perceive and how we then make sense of our senses and how we how our body observes that absorbs that and then digests it and 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 it becomes reality sort of dance is located throughout that whereas theater is later on in that process and we are much you know as a society we're sort of obsessed with the later on in that process whereas that that early on in that process is actually what what builds the foundation for our existence as a society i feel well, I mean, one of the reasons that I, I sort of think of you people together is this idea of, you know, what exactly an audience is, is quite collapsed uh, in, in what's happening. And, and, and I find that kind of fascinating. And, and for me personally, that makes the experience so much richer. But it also, in the pandemic era, has a particular kind of effect in that you're not trying to deliver the kind of experiences that are forsworn by being distanced, actually, despite working in an area that's about bodies moving together. Yeah, that kind of separation of the dance of life from um, the art of dance, as opposed to the art of life. And it's a very interesting one. It's very culturally specific to Western ideologies and thinking about art. Um, well, as a product, there's an audience that are kind of a consumer. So it's this very particular kind of commercial. And, and I think this is a really deep challenge around dance at the moment. But I think, especially with so many dancers having to go on film, and, you know, a lot of our work now is on the internet, which at one level, it's like, okay, that can make things much more accessible. But it's also who's controlling all of that. So the politics of dance are, I think it's, it's really important and audience is really central to that but also that idea of of function is it comes into it dana and you know the idea that there is some knowledge that happens when dance happens that you can bring into another area i mean on, on one level that might be part of what bernie's talking about about the sense that dance has to produce something in in the kind of uh, uh, neoliberal ethos yeah yeah i also think a lot about the difference between the technologies of dance, if you might say, and and, dan and the products of dance, and that these technologies are always in play, even when there's no product in the capitalist sense. Um, for example, I'm working on a project right now where that I started because I found myself very polarized politically in the United States. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm working with conflict all the time, but I'm super polarized right now with these people. How could I create some kind of an environment or a, a container where I could experience this differently? And how can I invite other artists into it? So I'm working with artists from Kenya and Kuwait and Syria and the United States and UK gypsy diaspora. And we are doing physical interviews with people with whom we disagree and agree. And those people only respond physically. And it has this really powerful effect of bringing you in connection with this person that you otherwise really start to move away from. So it uses the, it uses the fact that the, that the experience that a person um, transmits through their body is something you can't argue with in a certain way. It's, it's what is in them, and it's a way to be present with them without falling into these polarizing actions that are so present right now in so many countries. I think dance as a kind of technology or as technologies, the role that it takes in its various forms is is changing now. And I feel, I mean, our panel is kind of a witness to that as well, I think here, uh, as we're moving away from this 
neoliberal idea of, of how dance works in our society. And for me, that was, that was, it was very symptomatic as soon as everything shut down last March or April, how all the dancers pressed onto social media and my timeline was filled with frontal facing dance uh, and this dancers performing directly into a square as if nothing has changed. There was still the same relationship wanted to be replicated and and not just singular. This was everywhere and it's still going on. So this notion of, and it, it's not effective necessarily to put on a camera and just dance into it. It it doesn't really translate the same way as, as dance does if you witness it. In, in. So that the way we think about this relational uh, between being seen and the, the one who moves, I think this is all behind the scene, it's breaking down. And I think a lot of people take notice of that. And there is sort of a drive, and it seems at times uh, anxiety-driven because we don't know anymore what to do with that neoliberal model that is prevalent that we all trained in or many of us are trained in. Uh, and what to do now is is kind of, we have that setup, we have that knowledge in a particular way, but there is so much knowledge in it. And I think uh, Dana can speak to that really well, how much knowledge there is actually in a formally trained dancer that is not about this frontal performance to somebody else that we have not fully cultivated. You know, it's a shame. I think there's so much potential there for society to actually tap into that knowledge. You, you mentioned technology there, and, and I think that kind of leads us into a strange area because, yes, there is a lot of uh, knowledge embodied in movement, but I think one of the reasons that dance thinking has become such a catchphrase is the rise of AI, where we're trying to work out, uh, you know, how can we create something like ourselves that, that has a mind or thinks like us? And suddenly it becomes more and more clear that that has a lot to do with how we move and how we're embodied and how we move through the world. And that maybe the trap is for dance to kind of offer up its knowledge to that area. Or maybe I'm, I'm just being superstitious or something. Dana, what do you think? I think that there's so many different levels on which the thinking is taking place. So there's the individual body, which might be used for AI, like how do we make a robot that moves like a person? But then there's the whole other level of how do thoughts get organized physically? How does the way the world is being organized impact the way we think? It's a much broader field of action that dance thinkers are engaged in. But I suppose the kind of seesaw I'm, I'm thinking about there is that, yes, there is a lot of knowledge there, but that as we begin to understand how much knowledge is there, we're mining it in a way that we're mining other sorts of data, that we're just feeding that machine in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I keep coming back to is that it's always already there and we're always already practicing it. So the question is, in what way are we practicing thinking about these things? Um, we can think about what we consciously would like to create together and move toward that instead. So it's always going to be, it's it's a resource that's always present. So it's always going to be a choice what we do with it. The kind of separation that just happened in the pandemic has given people I see around me a much stronger sense of the impact of the vibration of other people. So when they come back together, people feel overwhelmed. They're much more conscious of what it means to be together. So I think it's an interesting moment to consider how we're shaping, how we're physically organizing ourselves as individuals and communities, groups and nations and, you know, the world, our, our nation states. 
how how are the ways that we've organized ourselves increasing the level of violence in the world or reducing it and moving toward the kinds of ways we want to be together? Yeah, I think I've been really watching what's been happening around Black Lives Matter. I mean, and I'm conscious that all of us appear anyway to have white skin. You know, the kind of to be witness, to be audience to the murder and uh, then realising this is not an isolated murder of George Floyd. I mean, colonisation has been with us a long time. Personally, my own dance practice right now is deeply engaged with beginning to sort of look at what it is to be a woman from the West of Ireland, from a colonised history. I have all these privileges that come with white skin and I live in a very kind of particular consciousness that can be I've started to track when I go unconscious around certain things and the gift of that has been the privilege of being in relationship with people who um, really trust me enough to challenge me. Well I think it was the defining character here in the American South for sure the Black Lives Matter movement Uh, in dance I mean my dance program is very much concerned uh, with the experience of black lives and the translation or the enactment or the, the, the kind of listening to. And I think we've been, as a, as a culture, have been always asking, okay, what can the body do? And in the past, at least in the past years of my training in the, through, through the academies, there was always higher, further, more turns, more, you know, it's always higher, further, whatever, you know, more intense, Uh, sort of like enacting in a weird way, a growing economy, this uh, notion of progress. What a body can do is other bodies already move completely different, that are not in power, that have different experiences. And this shift of listening to and actually witnessing and handing over the stage, so to say, the proverbial stage, um, or metaphorical stage, handing over that stage to other experiences and letting these other experiences actually lead the way. I think that has become kind of central. In one way, will we dance again? You know, the, the question. And and who who's dance? Who is dancing now? And uh, so that is that is certainly shifted, especially in the U.S. context, and that radiates worldwide. And I think that's a that's an amazing shift over but in a way i mean i I think for for your work a lot of space already exists within it you know i mean i I think of something like parliament i think well actually i know michael wrote the structures around which that is based but actually it's all about what any community brings into it yeah i mean it, it it doesn't mean that that many artists before last year weren't sensitive to, to the problems of the world or the, the kind of intrinsic conflict. And so I guess it's it's the wounds are breaking open because there's a critical mass of people that can feel it, like that have proactively dismantled the system and are working on dismantling the system. So there's still a lot to learn. I mean, for me, moving to the American South from Europe is a, was a, you know, steep learning experience, of course. And I'm still not able to have the right words to, to describe it. Like, I think that's another two years away to actually talk about it meaningfully, which is interesting. You know, the language is later on for the, the, the experiences first uh, come out and then we build these cognitive frameworks around it. And then we find ways to to actually say what we've already been enacting. 
uh, what we've already been doing and already been moving in new ways. So, yeah, I think there's there's a critical mass of artists and dance artists specifically. I mean, this discourse is already going on for many years, of course, in, in various different fringe communities. Dana, to what extent were you feeling that dance could see ahead? I mean, Michael, Michael suggests there that these were things that maybe particularly dance was all, already sensitive to the future. Hmm. So I worked as a performer for many, many years, decades, and then I started studying conflict. And at first I really kept the two separate. I thought it would be, it would be like a weakening of either practice to connect them. And then I, I got involved in a, a dialogue process that was just terrible so like stiff and um nothing people didn't want to talk <laughs> and afterwards i i reflected on it and i started thinking about theater and why theater works and so i started then going back to what i had already been practicing and what people are practicing around the world all the time around um, all of these technologies for lack of a better word and I, I've been slowly more and more moving into it and initially thinking, well, this won't work with people who, who aren't accustomed to thinking with their body. But what I find is that when you find a modality that functions as a, as a method of exchange or communication, then people immediately sense it and move right into it. I, I didn't think it had potential at first, but now the more I, I've been working with it, I start to see that it has potential way beyond what I ever thought. Yeah. So, so Michael, the last time we spoke, you'd created what might be a dance technology, which was this little ring, the Hydrian. It seemed to me there's a crossover between that and what Bernie's talking about, but it might also be a kind, a kind of cul-de-sac. If we, if we talk about AI as a cul-de-sac for dance, well, this other kind of thing where uh, dance could get co-opted towards the wellness industry. And, and I mean, it obviously has useful, uh, useful part to play there, but I wonder, I wonder, is there something there that you need to steer away from as well? Yeah, I mean the the co-opting is is a reality that we cannot control. I think that will happen always with any idea. So that's unfortunate. I I do think that dance is somewhat almost like a radical mindfulness. It doesn't just get your wellness to a certain level, but it actually plays at the level of your own spirituality, as of course, and on in your own it builds up your own ethics, like the radical mindfulness of moving and dancing, you know, cultivates a certain kind of ethics, cultivates a certain kind of being in the world and in relation to others. And, and that's very hard to kind of, uh, to monetize in, in an instant <laughs> or directive way. If you, you know, the market will not kind of take that because that's really not in the interest of the market to, to get, people that have agency of their perceptive abilities of their uh, you know ways of that they understand what they see and what they hear and so on it, that's not in the interest of the market so yes there were elements that will always be co-opted and, and thrown thrown out into product but i think dance is just so radical we say it's the art form of the 21st century like dance is the art form of the 21st century because it's it has all these things it's the body is the map and the territory like it has all these things on which we actually have to work at to create meaningful change it will not happen on the metaphysical side of things that's just not going to happen there's a 
logic forbids that this this can happen in a way. So, well, perhaps we've all sat still in our chairs for long enough and we need to sort of take advantage of some of that power. And uh, it's time for some dance thinking, which, of course, might be just a walk. I'd like to thank all our guests for this great conversation, Bernadette Diverley, Dana Kasperson and Michael Kleon. We'll be back with more of The Different come Monday in The Daily Culture File and next Friday for The Weekly. Meanwhile, don't forget your regular Culture File Weekly is available right now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to all our guests and bye now bye bye thank you thank you bye bye